Hello, you're listening to the Poshcore Podcast. I'm Alan Toth. Sakura is away this week. Uh, she's been invited to Morocco to do a national tour of her new album to help raise awareness about uh, girls' empowerment issues in the country. She's not gone yet, but she's working out some details with her sponsor. Um, so in her place this week, we have Justina Wu, who is a uh, local storyteller and the creator of the Beyond Borders story, live storytelling event. Hi, everybody. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Alan. Uh, so last week I was in D.C. Uh, I was honored to be invited to the U.S. Agency for International Development to present Poshcore Posh to screen it in front of an audience there. Um, and while I was in D.C., I was also invited to Peace Corps headquarters, where I discovered that Poshcore was the first uh, film by a returned Peace Corps volunteer ever to be screened at Peace Corps headquarters, which was a bit shocking. Um, but that was, that was an honor as well. Um, so, Justina, I wanted to ask you a little bit about uh, the storytelling event that you created. Um, what is okay. the Beyond Borders storytelling event? Um, so, Beyond Borders is um, a storytelling event um, where people tell stories about their cross-cultural experiences. Um, usually, you know, it's, uh, usually it's stories about travel, um, but it can be any sort of um, any sort of Experience or adventure where you, um, you know, you're interacting with somebody who's different from you, has a different background from you. Um, it's uh, it was started by um, a group of returned Peace Corps volunteers, but now we have storytellers um, who are not Peace Corps volunteers, just anyone who wants to tell a story um, about about crossing cultural barriers. Um, and is there anything you want people to know about Beyond Borders? Um, well, yeah, I'll go ahead and promote it a little bit. Um, it is a storytelling event that happens every other month um, in San Francisco. Um, so if you'd like to tell a story, definitely let me know. Um, we have a website, a web page on the NorCal website. Um, it is www.norcalpca.org slash beyondborders. If you want to find out more information. And... Um, not only do we have the story jams, but we have storytelling workshops so we can help you work on your story um, you know, and give you tips. And we have practice sessions so you can practice telling your story and getting feedback from veteran storytellers. So it's a whole series of events um, to help you tell your story and make it the best that it can be. Awesome. Yeah. So we're here at uh, Kennedy's Irish Pub and Curry House. I think it's quite fitting that our first Peace Corps Story Slam should take place at such an interesting location with the name Kennedy's. Um, so this episode of the Posh Corps Podcast is Story Slam. Thanks for listening. Okay. Um, all right. So... Um, my name is Karen Drackler, and I was a Peace Corps volunteer in rural Honduras from 2004 to 2006. And the name of my story is called Matagato. So um, I had mice in my house in my rural village in Gualaco, Olancho, Honduras. And when I would lay in bed at night, I would actually hear this little pitter-patter of the mice trying to crawl up the side of my bed to get in with me. So I got a cat. I didn't have mice anymore. Instead, I had a best friend. Uh, when you live in a really small village, everybody lives with their family. 
Um, so I really, I didn't, and I sort of felt like I have two choices. I can either, you know, live this really lonely existence, missing my family all the time, or I could start to build my own. So that's what this cat became for me. I named her Bella after my aunt. She slept in the bed with me. I potty trained her. She ate special cat food called Gatti that I had to get from the capital two and a half hours away. Um, she had a little pink and white striped flea collar that my mom sent me from the States. She was the only cat in the village without fleas. Um, and everybody knew the little gringa cat because she had a little white gringa and pink gringa collar. So everybody knew this cat. I mean, she was my life. I would sit on my front stoop with her in my lap and I would comb her hair. I mean, and, and bathe her and do it. She did everything with me. She was my family. So meanwhile, while all of this was going on, I was still adjusting myself to living in the village and trying to find work because there really wasn't much at the beginning. And my best friend, at the same time, I left for the Peace Corps. She left to live on a yoga commune for six months in Hilo, Hawaii. And she left with me um, the set of yoga cards. And at this point in my life, yoga hadn't really become a part of it, but I was willing to give it a shot and I needed something to do to occupy my time. So I started translating the yoga co card poses into Spanish, thinking like, okay, at least I can leave this legacy and make this yoga book in my village. So everybody, again, saw me doing it. I would be at the internet cafe making Xerox copies of the poses, or I'd be at the school using the computer. Um, and so everyone kind of knew that I was working on this project, but they also knew that I was new and I needed work. So one of the great things about living where I lived was I lived at the entrance to a national park. And we had these local guys, we called them guides, um, because they knew the park and they knew it up and down and they would take me and if we ever got any tourists who are nine hours off the beaten path, they would take them to over and up and down La Pacucha, the highest mountain in our village, or to the caves of Sasmai, or anywhere you wanted to go that was out in nature. These guys all had day jobs, but they were also really proud of being guides. And they were really proud of their ability to kind of take tourists and take people around out in nature and in this beautiful national park. And they were the guys that I spent most of my time with. So knowing all of this, it um, wasn't really surprising that two of the guides came over to my house one night, uh, Moncho and Eddie. Moncho is a nickname for Ramon. Um, and they knocked on my door and it was like nine o'clock at night, which was kind of strange because that's pretty late. So pretty much the whole village is asleep and I'm in my pajamas and I'm getting ready to go to bed. And they knock on my door and I open the door and it's Moncho and Eddie and they're just like super excited. So like, Karen, we have to show you what we have. I'm like, okay. They say, we have a book of yoga poses in Spanish. <laughs> from 1972, and I was like, okay, I don't think yoga has changed much in the past thousand years, so I'm certain that their book is gonna be the same as mine, but it's already in Spanish. So this is really cool of these guys, like to know that I'm working on this yoga project, and they were my good friends, so they, they came over and they're like, Karen, we have been practicing. And I was like, okay, that is crazy. So like, can we show you what we have? And it was kind of late at night. That was my only hesitation, but they were already here and, and it was fine. I wasn't in bed or anything. So Moncho um, goes and he sweeps my giant, I have this giant living room with a hammock in it where the kids play. And he sweeps the living room clean and he's like, okay, so we've been practicing. I'm gonna show you. And he puts his arms, his elbows and his arms on the ground. 
And I'm like, oh my god, this guy's gonna do the tripod. This guy is gonna do the tripod into the headstand? I don't really know. Moncho was panzon, which means he had a literal beer gut from years of <laughs> drinking beer. So he's like over 230 pounds. And I'm thinking, there's no way this guy is going to do the tripod. So he's like, OK, Karen, everybody do it. And, and Eddie and I are sort of just standing there stunned watching this man um, put his elbows down. And then he puts his knees on his arms. And then he kicks his legs up in the air. And I'm flipping out because he's legit going to do the headstand. And the minute he goes up, boom, he goes down. And that's when I see it. And he sits up. And his back is covered in blood. And my little, little gatita is running around the living room in this tiny little circle with blood shooting out the side of her head. And she runs around for a couple minutes, and then she just goes down dead. Like, that's the end of it. And the minute she goes down, I just take off running down the street. And I was the only one who had actually like seen this whole thing. And I saw it happening, but I didn't really believe it. But I just couldn't be there anymore, so I just went running down the street. And at this point, people in the village are turning on their lights, and they're coming out of their houses. And of course, they're like, why is the crazy gringo? Because that's what they always called me. Um, you know, running down the street crying again. And it's like, you know, we're used to this crazy gringo. So I go to the house of my then boyfriend and bang on the door. And I wake him and his whole family up, which is really obnoxious because he's the town butcher. So he used to get up at like 4.30 in the morning. And I wake them all up, and I'm just like hysterical. And, and all I can say to him is, Moncho la mato, Moncho la mato, which means Moncho killed her. Well, his parents are really confused because his brother's name is also Moncho. <laughs> so like, there's this different guy named Moncho. And his parents are thinking either A, someone killed their son, Moncho, or their son killed someone. So they're starting to just flip out. And they're giving me these horrible, stoic, like angry looks. And meanwhile, I'm just you know, screaming and crying and screaming. And my boyfriend, who understands what this cat means to me, explains to them, no, no, she's just upset because Moncho Bellis, this is this different guy, um, killed her cat. And then his parents are like, it, it's a cat. <laughs> Like, who cares? Because they don't really have pets, and they don't live in their houses with them. They're not you know, their family. The way that this cat was for me, there's something to be kept outside and kill animals and you know, breed all they want to, and you don't really bother with them. So like, OK, definitely this gringa is crazy, and she almost gave us a heart attack, and she's spreading bad information, and you know, <laughs> she's totally, inconsolably upset over a cat, which makes no sense. And I calm down a little bit. My boyfriend calms me down, and he walks me back to my house. So when we get back to my house, Eddie is still there, but Moncho was long gone. And um, they had tried as best they could to clean up the living room, and I'm just going to leave it at that. But um, Eddie says, you know, Karen, I think you need to go talk to Moncho because um, I knew where you were going, but he thought you left because you never want to have anything to do with him again. And he is really, really upset. And I just felt really terrible. Um, he's a really sweet guy. So I went a couple blocks down the street to his house, and he was obviously still awake. And he was so sad. He was just so upset. You could tell he just felt horrible. And it was definitely an accident. And he just looked at me real sincerely and said, you know, Karen, I am an animal lover. Um, 
I, my kids can tell you I've had so many pets and so many animals. I could never hurt, harm another living creature. I'm just a gentle soul. And I knew what he was saying and sort of the, the emotional part of me was ready to forgive him, but the logical part of me remembered that his job was a fumigator. <laughs> and I was a little bit concerned that we would have to have another conversation later about what he did for a living because it wasn't really making sense. But I knew what he meant and uh, eventually I forgave him. And on the way back from his house, uh, I sort of figured, okay, what am I going to do about you know this this situation? And I taught in my home, and I had kids over every day, so I just thought, okay, I'm just going to put up a sign on the door: "Ubo un accidente." There was an accident, like not not announced to the whole village. You know, Montrevelli's killed my cat. You know, just sort of take care of it. My host dad dug a hole in the backyard to put the cat in a box. I mean, it was going to be a really mellow thing, but little did I know, in the time it took me to walk from Moncho's house back to mine. The entire village knew what had happened. And from that point forward, his nickname forever in the village was Matagato, which means cat killer. <laughs> and I never called him that, um, but I understood that's what happens in a small town. And um, we did do all of those things with my cat, and it was a really good learning experience for the, for the kids about you know, the circle of life and, and pets and things like that. And with time, um, you know, eventually Munch, I did forgive Moncho, and we actually became really, really good friends. But he will forever be the Matagato. <laughs> Johnny, are you yep. ready to go? Yeah, does it sound OK? Cool. All right. All right. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Johnny Styron. I was a Peace Corps volunteer in China from 07 to 09. Um, and so I lived in Guiyang, Guizhou. So Guizhou is uh, in the southwestern corner of China. It's one of the poorest provinces. Um, one, of the, one of the kind of you know, silver linings to be one of the poorest and more underdeveloped provinces, though, is beautiful countryside. It was gorgeous green, lush mountains, um, a lot of great places to go hiking right outside the city. Um, and so one weekend, <coughs> I, was, I was teaching at a university. One weekend, some of my students invited me to join them at uh, an outdoor sports competition that they're going to be competing in. Uh, outside the city, they're going to go camping. It's going to be like an overnight kind of camping thing. Fortunately, I was not competing in any of the sports, <laughs> so uh, much to everyone's uh, benefit. Uh, but I was just kind of hanging out and, and um, kind of camping with them. And so in, in the evening, it was, it was just lots of people from all over Guizhou, from all over the province were, were there. A bunch of other university students, adults, um, all, all these different little campsites all around. Um, and so we're sitting around the fire, uh, just kind of enjoying each other's company. And, um, and then I see in the distance a, a really small like, TV crew, like someone with a camera and, and a little reporter like, making their rounds through the, through the crowd, um, you know, interviewing people about the, about the competition, the experience. And, then they see me. They're like, oh, the Laowai is here. Yes, and just beelined it, beelined it to me. Um, of course, like, I, I am someone who's, who's not shy. I was not afraid to speak to the reporters. I thought, oh, this is so fun. Yes, of course, yes. Please, everyone, create this horseshoe uh, around me as I'm speaking to uh, this reporter. And, and so she's asking me, uh, she asked me a few questions. Fortunately, she's speaking very slowly and clearly and like, Perfect Mandarin, so it was like uh, it was it was not bad going back and forth, and I was like feeling some momentum. I was understanding her. I was answering back. She was understanding me. Things were going great. Well, at one point, she she asked me, "Have you been here before?" 
And, and I reply, oh, sure, what a dice. Uh, it's my first time. And her eyes get big. And all of a sudden, this guy who was one of our, one of our groups, like uh, in our group, uh, one, of my, one of my friends, just goes, ah, did you hear what he just said? Ha, ah. He's like, he is like over, like slapping his knee. And like, and also like everyone in the entire horseshoe is just like erupting with laughter. The reporter steps to the side, and the camera also is just off. <laughs> and it also like moves away from me. So now I'm in darkness. The light from the camera is not on me anymore. I'm just like, what? what just happened? What just happened? I don't know, I don't know what I just do. So I turn to um, uh, this guy next to me. Barry is his English name. I go, Barry, what did I just say? And he goes, oh, um, yeah, uh, you just told them you're a virgin. <laughs> so. So that happened. I declared my virginity on uh, local Chinese TV. The reporter did not. The reporter did not return to me to ask follow-up questions, <laughs> maybe for good reason. Um, but so this this kind of highlights, you know, obviously uh, Chinese. Maybe you've heard is not a very easy language to learn. Um, and I and I arrived in China not speaking a word. I didn't even know ni hao until I was on the plane, and one of the other. Uh, soon-to-be Peace Corps volunteers taught me ni hao. Like I was, uh, there's a big learning curve. So uh, in, a, in a similar vein, if you thought, you know, declaring my virginity on local TV was, was uh, a language faux pas, uh, get a load of this one. So I, I had uh, just been in the, the country for a couple of months, and you know when you're learning a new language, if uh, someone repeats it, like maybe you don't catch it the first time, but if they say it again and maybe slow it down a little bit, then you can, you can catch what they're saying usually on the second time or the third time. So uh, a very common thing that you would say is, is asking people to repeat themselves whenever, um, when you're interacting with them. And so uh, I was doing this on a regular basis. I, I did not have a lot of Chinese experience. So I was going all over town asking for, you know, not catching what people said and asking them to repeat themselves. And they would never repeat themselves. And so I was thinking, like, why are people so rude? And I was just like, wow. But I'm asking you to repeat that. And they'd always kind of like look awkwardly and like turn around. I mean, I'd be, I'd be getting my hair cut. And the guy would like mumble something. I'd say, oh, I'm sorry, uh, say that again. And he would like, and then just keep cutting my hair. I'm like, oh my god, I hope that wasn't important. Uh, or like buying fruit from this uh, like adorable little elderly woman around the corner from my apartment. She would say something about the price, and I'd say, say that again. And she would just awkwardly look away and just hand me the fruit. So I was very confused, like little kids, everyone, all over town. I'm asking, no one's repeating themselves. Well, one day I'm, I'm uh, in a session with my language tutor, Lulu, who became one of my very best friends. Um, but she, she and I ended up, most of our language lessons were really just gossiping in Chinese, which is the best way to learn. Um, but this one particular lesson, <clears throat> uh, I didn't catch what she said. And I said, oh, say that again? And she goes, <laughs> Johnny, no. I should tell you. I should tell you. Uh, you think you're saying, zai shuo yibian. What it sounds like you're saying is, zai shou yibian. I'm like, that sounds the same to me. <laughs> like, I don't know what the difference is. She goes, well, one means say that again. The other one means another hand job, please. <laughs> That's right. 
I was going all over town asking for another handjob. So I don't know if it was so much the another that threw people off, but uh, needless to say, I was much more careful in asking people to repeat themselves from then on. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. So those are some of my uh, language faux pas. And I mean, at the end of the day, it's all about kind of learning and putting yourself out there. And, uh, mistakes will happen often. Uh, they're very embarrassing. Uh, and that's kind of the best way to learn. So thank you. Um, so my name is Justina Wu, and I served in Kenya from 2005 until 2007. Um, and so it was the fall of 2006, and I had less than a year left in Kenya. At that point, I was starting to feel a bit frustrated with a bunch of projects that people had helped me to ask me to help them start, but then when they found out how much work was involved, um, the project would just get sidelined. Um, I was thinking about what I wanted to accomplish before my close of service, and I decided that what I really wanted was just a Peace Corps success story. So World AIDS Day falls on December 1st of every year. And it was always a big deal for my host organization, Olamila. Every year they sent this mobile HIV testing unit to the celebration and all of the big shots would get up and they would make speeches promoting our services. Um, and so this time I had this idea that for the upcoming World AIDS Day, um, Olamila could host a boda boda race. Now, bodas are bicycle taxis. They're basically like these clunky steel-framed bikes, um, and they put a cushion on the back so that they can carry an extra passenger. And so what I was picturing was that on World AIDS Day, people would see all these bodas racing by, you know, and they would be like, hey, what's going on? What's World AIDS Day? What's Olamila? And then conveniently, the race would finish in front of our mobile testing unit. And so after an exciting day of cheering on Bodo Bodas, people could go and learn their HIV status. <laughs> so then Olamila's director, Andege, of course, thought it was a great idea because um, it would help them get more clients. And for me, the Bodo Boda race would hopefully be my Peace Corps success story. But there was a lot to do. The venue for World AIDS Day hadn't been announced yet by the local officials. We still had to get permits and speakers and donations. We would need snacks, water, t-shirts, and prizes. And it was ambitious, but for first prize, we wanted to offer a new bike. Fortunately, several of my Olamila colleagues had offered to take on a few of the tasks. So each week, I would check in with them to see how things were going. And each week, they would just shrug and say, oh, Justina, there's plenty of time. Then the next week, I'd ask them again. And they'd say, why are you worried? There's plenty of time. And this is sort of how October went by. And November came along. Word had gotten around that we were offering a, a new bike for first prize. So we had 35 people signed up to race. Um, but other than that, we hadn't gotten much else done. Um, and suddenly it was November 15th, and World AIDS Day was two weeks away. The venue still hadn't been announced. I told my Olamila colleagues that we were running out of time, but nobody still seemed in any hurry to move things along. They were just like, 
oh, Justina, this is just how we do things in Africa. They might even wait until the day before to decide on a venue. I was like, what? The day before? I mean, up to this point, I'd been trying to make sure everyone was involved and felt a sense of ownership about the event. But instead, it felt like everybody expected me to do all the work, just like all the other projects that I'd been working on. But if I gave up now, there'd be no bike race. And so I just decided, you know, forget everyone else. I'm just going to do this by myself. So a week before World AIDS Day, suddenly each day was like a whirlwind. It was like T minus six days. There's this last minute approval that I was never told I needed to get. So T minus five days, I spent the entire day waiting at the district office to get that approval. T minus four days, the central office in Nairobi tells us that they don't have any t-shirts after telling us that they were going to send us a whole bunch of t-shirts. Um, T minus three days, I'm like super rude to everybody because I'm so stressed out. <laughs> T minus two days, they finally announce the venue. <laughs> so T minus one day until the race, like everything's a complete mess. Uh, like all we had were a few boxes of biscuits and like a dozen <laughs> bottles of water for 35 racers. You know, but the biggest problem was that we didn't have a new bike to offer as first prize. So I went to talk to Andege, um, and I told him about the situation. And he was just like, Justina, we will find a way. I was like, how? How will we find a way? I mean, we have a day to find a way to get money to buy a brand new bike. We don't have enough snacks. We don't have enough water. I mean, with all due respect, Andege, I don't think we're going to find a way. I mean, we've been trying. Wait a second, wait a second. I have been trying to find a way for the last two months, and no one else, not one person around here, has lifted a finger to help me out. So on the morning of the race, World AIDS Day, December 1st, I went into the office early to collect like these sad rations of biscuits and water, and I was just like dreading the spectacle that was about to happen. Like we would have this big exciting race through town, everyone would come out to watch, and at the end, Andege would get up on stage and be like, well, unfortunately, we have no prizes for you, but please come and be tested for <laughs> HIV. <laughs> so all this was going through my head as I walked into Andege's office, and I flipped on the lights. I looked around, and all of a sudden, I just saw like all of these boxes and boxes piled high of biscuits and glucose and water. And there were like rolls and rolls of World AIDS Day stickers and that, that they had sent from Nairobi, even though they didn't send t-shirts. But it didn't matter because somebody had found like several boxes of t-shirts and uh, baseball caps left over from some other event that we were just going to give to the racers. <laughs> um, and the craziest part is that in the middle of the office, still in its original packaging, was a brand new bike. And Andege was right, you know, they had found a way. Like, I had no idea how. I mean, however they did it, probably wasn't the way I would have done it. But <laughs> my colleague had said, that was just the way things were done in Africa. They had found a way by conducting business as usual in their own community, using their own connections. So it turned out that I had a Peace Corps success story after all, and it was this that I finally understood that my community was fine before I got there, and it would be fine after I left. Thank you.
This has been the Poshcore Podcast. Uh, I'm hosting today with Justina Wu, who's the creator of the Beyond Borders storytelling series. Um, so, Justina, what's what's up next for Beyond Borders? Um, well, we have our next um, story jam coming up April um, 24th, I believe. I don't want to get that date wrong. But it's <laughs> somewhere it's like a Tuesday. Anyway, um, you can actually find out our full schedule on our webpage, which is at www.norcalpca.org slash beyondborders. Um, it has a full schedule of all of our story slams, workshops, and practice sessions. They are all open to the public, so anytime you want to join, um, you know, you can just show up. Um, it helps if you RSVP to um, the address that's listed on the website. Um, but, you know, if you, if you just want to show up, that's fine, too. Um, and we have, we have these story slams every other month. Um, so if you miss the next one, there's one coming up in June and then August and on and on. And I have to say, like, I've been, I think I've been watching you, you know, tell stories from mm-hmm. at least a year ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you do one every couple months or so. And I have to say, you're like, your skill as a, as a public, in public speaking and storytelling especially is just like, you know, you've just improved extraordinarily. Um, oh, well, thank you. So you're like the perfect endorsement for how <laughs> helpful it can be to, you know, go through the whole process of yeah. learning how to tell a story, doing the workshops, getting up on stage. Mm-hmm. How do you feel that, like, public speaking has changed, you know, your, like, personal life? Um, I think it's just... I, don't, I think I'm just more comfortable speaking in front of people. It's helped me with that a lot. What did you think about the storytellers this afternoon? Um, it was great. I um, have heard a couple of those stories before, but um, they're still hilarious and wonderful the second time. These um, are some of your very best storytellers. Yeah, they really are. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks so much for coming today, Justine. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to the Poshcore Podcast. Please get on our website, poshcore.com, and pick up the podcast bundle if you want to support the podcast. Thanks for listening.